This is Polar Request, live from the heart of Brooklyn. Polar Request is an hour-long podcast where we talk about everything in and relating to technology. Starring three techno experts, Eric Newman, hi, Chris Grabowski, hey, how's it going, and Tyler Dinner, hey there. This week's episode, Cryptocurrency Crisis. Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another Pull Request. My name is Eric Newman, and to the left of me is the wonderful, the talented, the beautiful, the salacious Chris Grabowski. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well, and thank you for the compliment. Oh, no problem, I... no problem. <laughs> You've been looking extra smashing lately, so I decided to. Thank you, I try. Yes, thanks. And uh, <laughs> to your left, a few blocks further west, is the wonderful Tyler Dinner. Hi, Tyler, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Good weekend. Good weekend going, yes, and this is the tail end of our good weekend. What makes it so good on your end of things? It's beautiful. That's it. Okay, well, thanks very much for the report, and we'll get back to it. Sorry to be so detailed. Can you get a little closer to the mic? You you sound really in the back of the room there. I'm close, but I'll do what I can. Okay. Well, um, let's see. So there's a lot lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, Our show today is about cryptocurrency, since that's really in the news. It's really hot right now. We've been teasing it for a few weeks. We really wanted to give everybody a lowdown on what cryptocurrency is and how it works and, and all, the, all the pieces inside of it. And then next week, we'll talk about uses of cryptocurrency outside of just what is it. Does that sound good? I like it. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, before we get to that, we've got a few things to talk about, like the continuing coverage of my phone getting hacked. Uh, you guys, if you remember last week, you mentioned to me that uh, you would be getting calls from my phone number. It was not enjoyable. Yep. I can't hear you, Tyler. It was not enjoyable. Those were prank calls. I guess they were prank <laughs> calls. Well, I did some I did some digging, and after talking to AT&T, I found out that uh, my phone was not actually doing the thing that was making the calls to you guys, because my phone nor AT&T have any records of the call logs. Interesting. Yes. So <laughs> that can only mean that someone has hijacked my phone number and is spoofing caller ID to call you people. But if my phone wasn't hacked, how did Whoa. they get the numbers Whoa. of my friends? Whoa. What do you mean, you people? <laughs> that's right, and that sound that you hear as I turn off the music, because they were even cut off in the back of the room, of course, was our wonderful studio audience. Hello, people! Hi! Yes! That's right, they love laughing at my jokes as long as I push their buttons and they uh, spend their week in a Tupperware container, and I take them out on Sundays just for us. And they're happy to see you guys. Um... Anyway, yes. So my phone number was spoofed, but what's odd is that they've got some of my contacts if they're calling you two. Yep. What, what could it be? If my phone isn't actually calling people, because if it were, then AT&T would show call. Like, my dad got a virus on his phone. His phone was texting Africa. He rang up a $700... <laughs> I'm not kidding. He rang up a $700 bill in one month. AT&T had a record of all of it. And so when you disputed... Well, that's text, though. No, but I'm saying, if I were making calls and it was using my actual phone to actually call people on my actual cell phone network, AT&T would have a log of it, and it, they don't. So that means that this has moved from the realm of telephones onto the realm next to the realm of telephones, which is the Internet. And I don't know. I don't know what the hell happened. Unless... Clearly somebody got your number and contact list, though. Well... Is that related to Equifax? Uh, the phone number, probably, but the okay, great. It's Equifax. List I'm going to sue them for twenty five. I, I don't know that that contact list part makes it sound 
play something more. Well, see, that's the that's the problem. And but I, I don't know. You guys aren't even old contacts. I've got see. I had I had reports from like fraudulent sign-in warnings for some old account from ten years ago, but nothing, <laughs> nothing from nothing from this decade. And it's, you know, well, you know, I haven't I, known you guys for ten years, so. Oh, what your hotmail got hacked? No. I was um, gonna say Gmail. No, because wait, wait, think email. about this: because we usually communicate over Gmail, and the phone is calling the people that you communicate with frequently, and. I mean, it's, it's it if, if it bases itself off normal calling history and SMS, like I don't think it would do that. We communicate mostly through Hangouts. Yes, this is true. But then, how would it know your phone numbers? Hmm. And what's also odd is I oh. actually didn't have your phone numbers in my phone until a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I've known oh. you for what three years. Well, screw you too. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a modern, it's a modern dilemma because we don't really talk on the phone. Even this conversation, it's basically a phone call, but it's not. This isn't on the phone. If you, if you make a voice call to someone on Hangouts, is that you know, and it's they're using their phone, you're using your phone. Is that a phone call? Uh, are, are you both using phones? Yes. And you, are you talking with your voice? Yes, but it's a voice call over the internet. Then it's a phone call. Okay. What if one of the people were on the computer, but they were still using Hangouts? Are they using a headset? Yes. Then it's a phone call. Interesting. Okay, if you're on your phone in the bathroom and you watch uh, a show on Netflix, is that television? That is gross, one. I didn't say what you were doing in the bathroom. That's all up to you. No, who watches television in the bathroom? If it's on your phone, it's much more accessible. You take a tablet to the bath. There you go, or you take a tablet. That's a refined way to do it. I mean, yeah, sure, you can take the phone. I mean, Netflix is a hard one. Is that television in any form? Well, it depends. That is the whole question. If you're watching this, you know, serial content that's 22 to 30 minutes each episode on Netflix... On your phone, on the toilet, is it television? The answer is yes. Okay, we don't have time for this. Let's move on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, if you guys had answered, we could have also moved on a little quicker, too. Uh, one other thing, uh, because we keep talking about our hurricanes, we have to talk about Hurricane Maria in Puerto really? Rico. Since we also basically live in Puerto Rico here in Brooklyn. No. No. Ooh. No. Ooh. It's not oh, that shame. Go, out, shame. go outside and throw a rock. I went to college in another place that had more Puerto Ricans than shame. Puerto Rico, which was Orlando. No, shame. It's not shame. If you've been in this neighborhood on Puerto Rican Day Parade Day, you'll know. You know what? It's Fair. A, yeah, you know what? And if you go to the Fourth of July, the fourth, you know, I remember walking around Bushwick on the Fourth of July, saying, "Oh, there's a lot of American flags, but why do they only have one star?" <laughs> yeah. So I spent six years in a place that had more Puerto Ricans than Puerto Rico, which is Orlando, and now I live in another place. It's I, my heart goes out to them. It really does because they live on a small island that is already in debt. It's a U.S. territory. So they're not a state. They're not their own country. Their hands are really tied with what they can do. The power to Puerto Rico has been knocked out completely. The whole island is without power. And uh, a lot of those and a lot of displaced Puerto Ricans might have been having a uh, barbecue in my backyard yesterday. 
No. Oh, <laughs> now that is shame. That is, yeah, that was over the line. <laughs> anyway, uh, but on a serious note, it is really sad. And to fa- have, a, like, four Category 4 hurricanes in a month, that is... That's a sign of the times. Yeah, along with it being 90 degrees on the second day of fall, but somehow global warming isn't happening. Mm. Anyway, uh, speaking of things that uh, uh, are kind of uh, consequences of the way that we live our lives, more developers are moving to Canada slash Toronto because of Cheeto Jesus Lord Dampnut number 45, Donald J. Trump. Uh, they're saying, there's some people saying, I've been in tech for over 20 years in Canada and in Silicon Valley, too. I've never seen candidates from the U.S. apply for Canadian positions from places like Silicon Valley. Uh, and this is Roy, uh, Peria, Freria, the CEO of <coughs> Zoom.ai. This has never happened before. I don't know, I'm looking at the list of startups here, though. They're, uh, mm. Well, it, 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 this is just where it's starting. And, and by the way, there was, I remember a talk that somebody gave I, I, uh, about how the monopoly of, on talent that Silicon Valley has is ending. And a lot of these places, because of the policy decisions we've made in the states, are deciding to start to go back to their own country. And then we have a bunch of afraid, uh, a, a bunch of afraid people here that want to move to a country that has an attractive president. So uh, that's why they're moving to Canada. And uh, it says... Because they like his abs? You know, we had an attractive president for eight years, and now we have to look at this. Did we, though? Uh, you know, in 2008, it wasn't... Uh, you into that, Eric? I like a, a little. I like a little coffee in my cream. Anyway, uh, Toronto has Ooh. created a twenty-story, one-point-five million-dollar square-foot startup incubator with a dense core of the city. Within a dense core of the city, across the street from the University of Toronto, and crammed along among nine research and teaching hospitals, some one hundred fifty medical, AI, energy, fintech, and other startups have headquarters in the Mars Discovery District. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I think this might be a little skewed, though, too, because you look at uh, Silicon Valley, I'd say, yes, a lot of talent is moving elsewhere, but they're moving to places like Denver's been a hot one for a while. Well, what is, uh, I mean, but Toronto is a major city in Canada, you know, that seems yes. like, wait, do, doesn't Toronto, Toronto have is another to offer than a I don't, I don't think, te- I don't think tech sees borders like most uh, industries in a lot of ways. Unless you're but, talking about online video distribution, because then it definitely does. But that's... Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, of course. <laughs> that's not really tech, though. That's more legal. But, uh, uh, anyway. that, that might also have something to do with San Francisco being the most expensive city in the country to live. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the case. Uh, New York tech market's doing really well. We got uh, uh, Denver's always a hot spot. Um, I want to say it's Austin and Portland are the other two that are usually pretty trendy these days for tech. And so all these displaced developers are just going to move to these lower price cities and then raise the cost of living because they have higher salaries. And then they're going to yep. turn all these other cities into San Francisco. Yep. Yep. Okay, moving on. Database provider Mongo has filed to go public. And this is not MangoDB like last week. Hmm. Uh, Yet they can't get ra- the Raft protocol right. What, what happened? Why can't they? So... Uh, this past week, I went to a meetup on, uh, uh, at MongoDB. Uh, the idea was generally on the Rash protocol, but a lot of the people there were from Mongo in the audience, weirdly enough, and their questions were Mongo-centric, and their whole thing was, well, instead of uh, having to, uh, being able to move to the next term, which in Raft term is basically a, 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 certain, a single unit of state. Okay. So... Uh, in true RAF spec, uh, you have to have quorum on that term to move on to the next term. 
but and by Mongo quorum, said, you mean a, a consensus? What, is there a number of, of, of elements? Ma- majority those? consensus. Majority, okay. ma- ma- uh, yes. But on uh, in Mongo, you can specify I only want two nodes to have uh, the state, and I can move on. And why would somebody do something like that? Because that is the way Mongo used to do things with a uh, uh, two-phase commit. But that's a perfectly normal thing in two-phase commit. This breaks raft, though. And in, like, a wait-a-minute-this-doesn't-make-sense kind of way, I pointed that out. And they got rather hostile towards it and be like, no, that's not how this is. This is strictly for uh, elections, not uh, uh, replication. Did you say a two-phase commit? Two-phase. Two-phase. What's what's a two-phase commit? Uh... You have a right to one, and it just uh, transfers to an, another uh, rep- replica. Gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. Um, so what happened? They got really defensive, and you told them that they were wrong, much like what I do when you tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> no, I'm eh. not wrong! Shut up, Christian! You, you know! <laughs> really a child well, genius! The, I shouldn't say they were getting uh, uh, that defensive, but uh, they, they had uh, one particular, uh, I, bl- I believe they were in support, uh, they, uh, my my understanding was they didn't really understand uh, Raft so much as they understood what Mongo was doing, hmm. and so I, I was like, well, specific to Raft, and I'm saying just purely Raft, the Raft spec not implemented in anything, just as the standard specifies, you need Quorum on right. And later I happened to just post in the meetup group, hey, here's the original, um, uh, uh, what's it called when uh, a, a, a PhD. Uh, Perspective, uh, perspective. PhD student uh, presents their thesis. Uh, dissertation. Yes, the, uh, it was the video of the dissertation uh, on Raft, and I happen to point out it does require quorum. Ah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, aside aside from that, and the quick lesson about Raft protocol, Mongo brought in 104 million dollars in revenue over the last year. Or the yeah, most so, recent year ending January 31st, and around $68 million in the first six months, ending July 31st of 2017. But they're at a loss this year. Yes. In the millions. Well, they're giving Mongo away. Basically. Maybe they should not. Well, I guess they have let to. Put, let me put it this way. A lot of the, the New York tech companies have the same VCs, and they're ecstatic about this IP anyway, so uh-huh. IPO. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you actually want to be profitable when you're an early company like this? They're not early. They've been around since before a lot of companies that have IPO'd. Interesting. Okay. Um, well, it says Mongo's revenue is growing, and while its losses seem to be stable, they're not shrinking. So, like you mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, so their whole business is selling tools around their free software and, and services. Well, tools, and service, hosting. But that's a very commodity business because that's what uh, They also does. have an enterprise edition, which is like extra features. Right. Isn't that what Docker does? Yeah, and it seems to do well on the get your name outside and gives you a high evaluation. But as we're seeing with Mongo, the whole profiting... I think one thing, too, to note is Mongo's hiring strategy, at least for engineers, is very... Um, they like to hire uh, like only like uh, several senior engineers, and then the rest of the entire engineering org seems fresh out of college. Gotcha. So I think they put a lot of money towards that. And it's instead of investing in, they're doing like they're doing a lot of lower level people that they can pay less to, as opposed to a few higher quality people. And I think they're hedging their bets on that, and they're not seeing the returns that they would like. Interesting. Well, maybe you should go work for them and give them some of this beautiful uh, consulting advice. 
I got, uh, so my last round of interviewing, I got to the phone screen and decided it wasn't for me. What about it decided, made you decide it wasn't for you? I, I just didn't get, like, a, a, the warm fuzzies I usually get from a place that I'm happy to work at. Ah, uh, I understand. I understand. Yeah. All right, well, moving on, uh, there's more fallout from Equifax. Someone made a fake Equifax website and then Equifax linked to it. <laughs> we had talked about. Oh, let me guess. Wow. It's the one where you enter your social security yes, to see is. if you're hacked. It is. It is exactly. It is. It is. Yeah. No, I'm serious. It, because they made a clone. There, there was a real website called EquifaxSecurity2017.com. We talked about this during our Equifax uh, episode a couple weeks ago. And um, what happened is someone made a clone of that website called SecurityEquifax2017.com, <laughs> and uh, it was a honeypot. And let's see. Uh, several posts from the company's Twitter account directed consumers to this version, securityaquifax2017.com. They were deleted after the mistake was publicized. By Wednesday evening, this was this past Wednesday, the Chrome, Firefox, and Safari browsers had blacklisted the site. But by that time, it had already received 200,000 hits. Wow. 200,000 hits sounds like a lot, but that's not the 143 million people that Equifax has screwed over because of this hack. So... This is just gross incompetence on Equifax's behalf. And if only they weren't too big to fail, something would happen, but they're not. I mean, but they are, so that nothing's going to happen. They should burn themselves for the insurance money. What was that, Tyler? They should burn themselves for the insurance money. They retired to get their retirement money. They cashed out, actually, yeah, and made a crap ton of money. Down. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, that's exactly what they should have done, because they're evil people. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Their site is dangerously easy to impersonate, he said. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. How about this? U.S. Navy submarines are getting Xbox 360 controllers to control their periscopes. About time. What? They didn't want to spring for the Xbox uh, One X or whatever it is? The Kinect? What's the One X? The, the, Xbox the new One? Xbox. Xbox One. Yeah. Well, there's a new Xbox One X. Oh, is there? I don't know. But it's you know, the, it's, it's whatever's about to come out. You know what it is? It's it's that we have a whole generation of people that have been fighting these war games using Xbox controllers, and then some of them enlist in the military, and they go, you know, the real controls aren't that mm-hmm. good. What if we just had an Xbox controller to use on this real? I don't know if they, if they don't ask if I want to play a game. Uh, it's not a real war game. <laughs> Do you want to play a game? The first submarine to get the new controller will be the USS Colorado, which goes into active duty in November. The Xbox controller... It comes with a sack of reefer. <laughs> nice. It will be the only United States ship where smoking cannabis is allowed. The Xbox controllers will later be added to other Virginia-class submarines. I don't know what a Virginia-class sub is. A big-ass sub? I don't know. Uh, they will replace a complex-looking helicopter-style control stick that I assume has been around for a uh, hundred years. Mm, maybe. Closer to 80, I'd guess. World War I? Mm, no, not World War I. World War II, uh, I'd say, really? probably. Yeah, there, there's a big technology upgrade between those two wars. There was, but I thought we had subs then. Actually, this might have been Cold War era. I don't know. I have my money on Cold War era. I don't know. Anyway, one last thing to talk about at the top of the show is that North Korea, everyone's talking about North Korea these days, North Korea owes New York City $156,000 in unpaid parking tickets. 
Kim Jong No Dong isn't dead. <laughs> North Korea's diplomatic mission to the United Nations this week has racked up more than thirteen hundred. Oh, sorry, over the over the years has racked up more than thirteen hundred unpaid New York City parking tickets, going all the way back to the nineteen nineties. As of this year, the total debt has climbed to more than one hundred and fifty-six thousand dollars. Do they uh, Are they? Uh, do they have any intention of paying? No. Among the notable scaff laws, scoff laws. Uh, reports WNBC, Syria, with $362,550 in parking debt, Iran, $184,000, Russia, $104,000, and China, $398,000 in parking debt. <laughs> Think about what we could be doing with all of that. That's almost a million dollars. With that almost a million dollars, we could give people on MTA who work for the MTA more overtime so they won't fix the subways. <laughs> Basically, that's what would happen or, if we gave it to the MTA. Or throw me a freaking bone here. Yeah, yeah. How about reduce yeah. the tax burden on our the wonderful oh. residents? Oh, I was getting it to pay off Doctor Evil, but yeah, sure. Oh, who who is Doctor Evil in New York? Bill De Blasio? No, just Doctor Evil. Doctor Evil lives in a volcano. It, you don't have to read into it. Just just Doctor Evil. Consistency. God. You know, that's all that I ask <laughs> from you. And one other thing that I love asking from you, Christian, is because it's Sunday night, it's time for our GitHub Issues of the Week. Our first GitHub Issue of the Week comes to us from our favorite JavaScript framework called React. Error from component causes error to be thrown twice. Uh, When a component throws an error, it throws it twice. For example, a click handler can error where it's thrown twice. Oh, so just any... It's just a general well, React event uh, 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 event dispatch issue? Yep. And I've seen this uh, in the past, too, which was back when I was doing React uh, almost three years ago at this point. And uh, there's a couple solutions you can do, like a try-catch or dispatch event. But that's all uh, working like, around a systemic problem in the framework. Yeah, which is that this the... is something that they do have to fix in actuality. But wow. then there's also, like, error. if you're in a render function and it's erroring, you can do, like, an error boundaries, which I actually don't know what error boundaries are. I would, uh, I'm not entirely I'd ask sure. you. Uh, I don't know if that's just uh, uh, error handling in React 16. Error boundaries huh. catch errors during rendering. Okay. They so it's like a try-catch. Hmm. They added a lot of new stuff to Oh, uh, here we 16, go. Yeah, component seems. did catch. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. They, ooh, they are going down a slippery slope there with that. Uh, not why the name or what it does? Uh, what it does. That is... Uh, why? You're, you're diverging from what the, how the language handles errors. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. React's diverging from standards? <laughs> are you, are you not writing HTML in JavaScript files? Fair. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, and, and when talking, when reading about React Fiber and all the new stuff that they're talking about, they basically have to rewrite a JavaScript stack on top of JavaScript. So... That seems to work for Go. They wrote threads on top of threads. Well, <laughs> is Facebook Google? Find out more. All right. I'm so Moving happy. Oh, is there a solution to this other than Facebook having to, uh... I guess you just workarounds. Yeah, switch to yeah. shoot. It's better. <laughs> yeah, nice. That's uh, he, and you found that in that O'Reilly book called "Rewriting Your Front End Every Six Weeks." <laughs> Our next, what happened? 
Hey. GitHub issue of the week. Our next GitHub issue of the week comes to us from InfluxDB. Races caused by unprotected engine access. InfluxDB is a time series database often used for storing monitoring metrics. This issue, this issue, sorry, is a race condition that can cause a go runtime panic with direct access to the InfluxDB engine. And what is this race condition? So this race condition happens whenever uh, in Go there's a whole uh, built-in library called Unsafe, which is often used for this low-level, uh, like particularly when you want bit-level storage. So a database is probably going to use this. Gotcha. And uh, the, the issue is you can do something like uh, a drop database, and then as long as you're not on the same client, you can also have data trying to write to that same database, causing a race condition. And that'll cause Go to panic, being like, hey, I'm trying to uh, delete the stuff that's in an mmapped file, so it's in memory and on disk, and all of a sudden you get this uh, data coming in, and it's trying to write to that, and it just has no idea what to do, so Go crashes. And so uh, there's a lot of ways that they, this could actually be uh, fixed. Uh, Influx hasn't really gotten back, aside from they're actually actively developing on this. But I personally look at this as, like, you can either have uh, a whole lock on the database when you do a drop database, which, to me, that makes sense. Uh, that does make sense because it's dropping the whole database, so you yeah. don't want to lock the whole thing. It, it What's is, an alternative? Uh, you lock the table sequentially as you – well, no, I mean the, yeah, it's a, it could just be a well, container for the whole database. I don't know. So uh, part of this is that it's uh, – Influx uses this thing called Bolt DB as its key value store under the hood. And it doesn't really have any built-in locking uh, in the, these regards, so you'd have to implement it yourself. And then it also brings up the question uh, that I don't fully know – of how does Influx treat its databases? Is it a database in Influx, uh, in uh, Bolt, or is it a like a individual file or something? In either of those cases, that's a lot easier than to say it's all using the same Bolt namespace, and then uh, there's some kind of in-memory namespacing creating the actual databases that they then have to lock around. But in either regards, I think the part of it is usually the more ideal and somewhat perf- more performant way to go about synchronization is channels and Go. But... So that they might be trying to figure out something what else with that. What is a channel as opposed to a thread? Uh, so a thread is a, uh, a a unit of concurrency, while a channel is a buffer that can send between two uh, uh, well Go routines, which are running on top of threads. Gotcha. Okay. So it's something higher level than a thread, basically. But uh, is it like well, it allows it's not it's not like a thread a channel. Is it a, cha- a channel? A channel is like um, you know uh, JavaScript's uh, shared array buffer. Yes. That's meant for when threads are added, which have been added most recently. So is it like inter-thread communication then? Yes. Ah, yes. gotcha. Okay. Um, is that it? Yeah. Uh, interesting issue that they're working on. Uh, seems to me like that, uh, something like you do have to lock around the database and they're not. Wonderful. So, Wonderful. yeah. All right, moving on. Uh, our next GitHub issue comes to us from Benoitc. Is that a, the way to say it? Benoit. I honestly don't know, and this is actually a very popular project, so I, it's surprising. Uh, that and everything's it's, uh, in lowercase, too. There's not even... Anyway, it's make the SO reuse port constant optional, or, or directive. It's not a constant, oh, it's a flag. Flag, thank you, sorry. Make the SO reuse port flag optional. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, this would allow you to... Or actually, I don't, I don't know this, Christian. What, <laughs> so what does this, this do? is in This is in GUnicorn, which is a whiskey server... Uh, that ports Wiz- Ruby's unicorns. Pre- yes. What's that? So it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, 
it's basically an app server in Python. Huh. So, so like how there's CGI, this is similar, and uh, but it's traditionally done in Python. So it's basically Unicorn and, for Python. Yes, in fact, they uh, the whole reason why it's called GUnicorn is that it, it uses the same forking model that uh, Unicorn uses. Just like Express is based off Sinatra. Yep. Interesting. And so... Uh, the part of it is SRE reuse port is a actually a flag to the sock uh, syscall or socket. I am actually blanking on what the full one is, but it's actually sock in Python. And what that says is for every uh, thing that uh, within this particular uh, space of memory that's uh, using the socket, uh, can you reuse the same port? So you have either multiple processes or uh, threads or. or um, well, most likely th- uh, you're using this for processes because threads can re- uh, reuse a port with ease. And uh, so there'll be uh, everything's on the same port, but you could also disable that if you want to handle the, the uh, load balancing or routing in user space. So you have some rules where it's like, I want things to go to this process or this or this other process. It's also the case that the kernel's SO reuse port uh, doesn't do a uh, round robining. It does uh, some other type of hashing distri- distribution on uh, packets going to each uh, process li- listening off the port. So it can get a little... Um, it, you don't always see what you would expect out of it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, so what is there a solution? Uh, maintainers are adding a config flag. It, uh, the uh, scope of where the code is already has uh, access to the config, so it's like a one-line change. Gotcha. So that one's going to be out... Uh, that fix is going to be out there pretty quickly. Great, great. Okay, well, our last GitHub issue of the week comes to us from Elastic slash Elastic Search, and this is Ela- and this is Beats. No, not Elastic Search. Oh, is this made by it's, the same Elastic? Yes, it's the same. It's the same organization, but this is Beats, Beats. which Boom. is a, a collection of uh, services for uh, telemetry. So, um, like. Uh, telling your log files and sending them off server, or uh, uh, just getting metrics off your server, or uh, if you want to, there's, there's one called Packet Beat for like uh, lo- uh, logging each packet coming off of your server. And there's like a Heartbeat, which is the original one, which was to say, uh, yes, this server is responding. Gotcha. Why aren't they yeah. called Elastic Beats? They kind of are. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Um. Let's see. Uh, so the so the problem is that they're trying to f- filter out syscalls using yep. uh, seccomp. That's a secure yep. comparison. What is secure at seccomp? Seccomp is uh, a way to actually uh, just go through and say you can use this syscall, this syscall. You can't use this syscall. You can use this syscall, and this is a feature request. Huh. And without it. Uh, any beat could call any syscall, and this is also a problem because the beats drop privileges and have access to uh, BPF uh, execution. The beats definitely drop, Christian. <laughs> well played. Um, okay. <laughs> so, uh, okay, and the uh, the solution is... Sorry, I'm getting too wrapped up in my bullshit. Uh... <laughs> Um, maintainers add a seccom config and add it to the entry point of each beat. So yeah, that's just so, ba- so you, it's basically an ACL for lit, for think for syscalls. 
yep, otherwise the user, while waiting for this, users can place the, uh, each beat into a container, uh, at least Docker containers, which do have seccomp uh, enabled, but that'll kill the entire process when it violates seccomp. Meanwhile, doing it in the process itself uh, will just kill the vi- uh, violating thread. Uh, Which actually with Go, I do not know how that'll work because the thread's actually underlying, and you're doing the Go routine. That that'll be interesting. Uh, that'll be an interesting change, because uh, the beats are mostly in Go. I think there's one that's in Python. Gotcha, gotcha. Anything else to add about this one? Uh, no, just interesting issue. Uh, excited to see the solution uh, that the maintainers create. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well. After we do our GitHub issues, of course, it's always time for Tyler's Plus Ones of the Week. I put the old music back on for you. Nice. Our podcast Plus Ones (laughs) are where we send out our well wishes and acknowledgments of awesomeness to people and other organizations. (laughs) Who's our first Plus One this week, Tyler? Coffee Script. Coffee Script. Coffee Script had a big new update. They announced Coffee Script 2, and uh, that was great because it provided JavaScript developers everywhere with a good laugh and a smug sense of superiority for not having to use that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I was looking into this actually earlier this week, Tyler, and I was like, why Coffee Script? ES6 does most of this, <laughs> yeah. almost everything. Why yeah, no, this is just. Um, what was that? Coffee, Coffee Script was created uh, for that, like. Um, the whole thing was like a Ruby developer having to write some JavaScript and being like, oh, JavaScript is so disgusting. Let me uh, turn JavaScript into Ruby. And then W3C said, oh, you know, this actually oh, isn't a bad idea. Let's just borrow that for our next version of JavaScript. Yep. And now it's, uh, I think my understanding of the difference between JavaScript 1 and 2 is now it's just compiling down to ES6, which means you have to compile that ES6 down to ES5. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. That makes sense, but that's the wonderful <laughs> world of JavaScript. All right, Tyler. That was a good plus one. Who's next? Uh, and Star Wars no longer undead. <laughs> uh, the next I mean, one if is you, I mean, if you want, I could switch to the stripper music, but that's a... Uh, no. no. <laughs> Maybe no. Okay, end. who's your next plus one, Tyler? Uh, next one is Google. Uh, Google dropped a cool $1.1 billion to acquire HTC and over 2,000 developers from there. Wow, that's their oh, second wow. phone company they've bought. Yeah, that and is interesting. And it's a VR company. Yeah. Are they, so my question is, are they just going to acquire every Android phone ever? <laughs> Probably. But Maybe that's, that's what it, that's, you know, that's a great, that's a great plan, Christian. They're going to buy up all of the manufacturers of the best Android phones, and then they'll own the whole ecosystem the same way Ooh. that Apple does, just in a very different way. That's dirty. And then it is of, dirty. And think about that for VR, too, because HTC was the only other one uh, making making room tracking location awareness VR. So it's either the Vive or the Oculus that you can walk around in a VR scene. And uh, now it's Google and Facebook that on those two. Well, isn't HTC also like uh, the Vive the most purchased uh, VR headset? I think so. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not certain between that and the, the PS4 or the PSVR. Hmm. The Oculus has sold a lot too. Well, I don't think Google's going to be buying Sony anytime soon. <laughs> Probably so. not. Probably not. Um, All right. Uh, moving on, your last plus one of the week goes to... Amazon. Amazon. I feel like what? they get one every week. <laughs> uh, well, they're, I mean, they're stretching... Jeff Bezos is stretching his arms really far these days. So what? what is it this week? <laughs> this week they announced a, uh, a, move, a movement towards a new wearable device that's going to be like Google Glasses. Didn't Google Glass bomb, though? It did, but the technology was way ahead of its time. 
Yeah, I, true, I don't. True. I don't think it bombed. I think it hibernated, and yeah. you see it in a few years, and it's actually going to be just built right into glasses, and it'll be much more of a transparent experience, and then it'll be popular. Yeah, they didn't have the ability to like put the colors and the resolution in that they needed for the a cost-effective price that people could actually get. Right, that means glass holes may see a resurgence in the future. <laughs> yeah, and then also, you know, like, the, the app technology is just easy. It's easy to port over apps and, and add stuff to that. They just, they just have so much more technology now and so much more uh, capabilities with, uh, you know, smart machine learning things now. So, what's cool. on? <laughs> Fantastic. Nice. And that's been our Plus One. Starla, you can go back to the pole now. <laughs> it I mean, sounds like Archer. <laughs> it does. No, I mean, listen. If you, I mean, if you, if you wanted the. Uh... <laughs> Coming up next. Hey, the hey, hey, candy. Hello, candy. <laughs> All right. I like that, but it, it is a little. You should yeah. get the South Park clip for the act of the strip club DJ, and then play it over that music. <laughs> Yes. And then we'll find out they used exactly the same music. You okay. sync up. <laughs> <laughs> How did they know? Wow, this is the same. All right. Uh, there's uh, a big, uh, let's see, where, where are we in the show? Ah, yes. Uh, it's time for our ransomware update, where we don't have theme music. And uh, where is this? Oh, yes, from the uh, Barracuda security firm, Advanced Technology Ooh, Group. Ooh, Barracuda. Thank you. While we're on the, our, the subject our, our of, jingle, of our, our uh, mouth jingle machine, while, while we're on the subject of good music and, and strip club music, I, I just want to take a minute to to think about how cool it would have been to go to a strip club where they dance to like cool music, like Motley Crue or like shit in the seventies, like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not a strip club fan, but like it's, the music doesn't help these days. If, if they're or, or a strip tunes, club where they were skanking the ska from the nineties. <laughs> That, that, that'd just be kind of weird. It'd just be uh, such a better experience. Imagine in the 40s when they didn't have rock or they didn't have hip-hop. Like, what do they play? They're just dancing to some jump jazz? Like, <laughs> <laughs> can't shake your well, ass back then, back then, you got, like, knee-high, and you're like, oh, damn. And you can learn more about this in my that, thesis paper. <laughs> you can learn more about this in my thesis paper on how music has shaped the strip clubs. <laughs> <laughs> An investigatory look. By Tyler Dinner, the music yes. changed and the dances changed to fit the music, not the other <laughs> way around. That's the best insight on on strip clubs. Yeah. If uh, we didn't allow the heavy metal music and the rock and roll, oh, it'd still be dancing Eric, like we, nuts. We, Eric, we know you've got an insight before. We were there. I've got one insight before, yes, Any, or one sight in, I should say. Okay, anyway. Uh, the Barracuda Advanced Modern, uh, Technology Group is actively monitoring an aggressive ransomware threat that appears to have come in the largest volume from Vietnam. Other significant sources include India, Colombia, Turkey, and Greece. Other countries appear to be distributing the same attack in very low volumes. So far, we've seen roughly 20 million of these attacks in the last 24 hours, and that number is growing rapidly. These attacks were wrapped in either a Herbalife branded email or a generic email that impersonates a copier file delivery. As in, like, a Xerox copier. Herbalife? (laughs) Herbalife, yes. You know, Herbalife, there's a Netflix documentary on how Herbalife is a a big scam. And uh, you should watch that and then realize that this is another level of of scams when you have ransomware that tacks onto it. (laughs) So even the the scammers are getting scammed. Um, 
This attack is using a Locky, that's capital L, Locky uh, variant with a single identifier. This identifier allows the attacker to identify the victim so that when the victim pays the ransom, the attacker can give the money back. However, in this attack, all the victims get the same identifier, meaning that there's really no way for them to get their data back at all. Can, can we all just take a moment to appreciate that it's written in VB script? Does that mean that it can't run on Mac? It, it, it only targets Windows. But... Oh, thank Visual Basic? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Let's talk about the 90s. That is, uh, yeah. So, it, wow. But it's VB script, which is, the, like, uh, it can compile down to JavaScript if they chose to, but it can also run as Visual Basic Who or some crap that? like that. Is that, like, an accountant that turns into a programmer? IE5? No, that's, uh, some, uh, that's some firm in India that's working for some bank in the U.S. that only has VB. Uh, it's because they have all these VB developers that need something to do since they haven't written anything in 15 years. True. I could never understand why people would use Visual Basic and who the target user would be because you have to learn. Like it, has a, it has a great Windows API. If you need to make a quick Windows app, you can do it pretty easily in Visual Basic. So does every other Windows language have because it's made by Microsoft. It's just like .NET is hard enough to do, and then you have to learn an abstraction on top of that. And but, abstraction actually, on Basic. VB, hold on, hold on. VBScript came before .NET. Yes, but VB had to port over the NT kernel syscalls while they were built into C Sharp. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and by the way, there's two new rappers in this ransomware attack. One impersonates a voicemail message. Hold <laughs> on. Um, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, using the subject line "new voice." No, it's an email. Sorry, it's an email that says "new voice message" phone with a phone number in mailbox phone number from phone number. <laughs> At this time, the domain in the body of the email is not returning suspicious activity. Uh, the bulk of this attack originated in Serbia. And uh, we're also seeing a rapper that impersonates invoicing from marketplace.amazon.uk. Not, oh, sorry, .co.uk, uh, which is also bad since Amazon was in the news this week for erroneously sending out baby registration emails. <laughs> Wait, is this just their AI thinking you're pregnant kind of situation? Probably, you know what? They probably fired people in high and just got an army of Alexas and they realized, oh, AI is not mature yet. Oh, that reminds me of something super interesting I found out just last is night. about South Park? Uh, uh, yes, actually. Uh, so if you try if you try to do those Alexa things anymore, now uh, Alexa goes, "Ha! Huh, I don't think so." Ah, they ruined it. Right, right. We ruined it. We yeah. all ruined it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I haven't even seen uh, that episode, unfortunately. Anyway. Uh, a big exploit for this week, moving on, is that there is a buttonless Bluetooth attack going around. Oh, is this that big CVE that affects, like, every Linux device? Uh, just by having Bluetooth on, we can get malicious code on your device. Now, uh, we read that with our left eye, and in our right eye, we read this article that says, uh, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi won't actually be disabled when you turn them off on iOS 11. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I didn't include that in the show notes, but that well, was something that I read this week. And people's and and it said in the article, and I'm pretty sure it was from The Verge, but you can look this up, uh, that it was intentional. It's just intentionally decided by Apple to do that. Why? Maybe because of government. I don't know. Well, so I do know iOS runs Bluetooth in a jail, so I think that's a little bit more protected than Android or Linux, unless you know what you're doing. And Windows, you're just kind of screwed. But the point is, is that it's not actually turning... First, 
it's a very Orwellian not actually turning off the radios when you tell them to turn off, A. And then, B, the thing is, is that you have this exploit that as long as Bluetooth is on, it can work. Uh, except it doesn't even say, yeah. it doesn't say iOS, well, so maybe this blue vulnerability isn't on. So I, they do say iOS prior to version 10 was vulnerable. But, so... Part oh, you're of right, is, no, I, I see that, I'm sorry. Part of it is iOS runs Bluetooth in a jail, which is a kernel-level construct, so it's pretty hard to hop out of that. But Linux, you can do the same thing with containers, but it's a lot of work. Hmm. Gotcha. So. And this uh, exploit is called Blueborn with an E. Well, I mean, there's already a, an E in Not to be confused with blue balls, but... Yes, that's the one that you're working on for next week. Uh, <laughs> okay, well. Uh, let's see, big exploit. Ah, yes. Right after that, we have... Theresa May murders the internet! And she is at it again, let me tell you. Um, there was a big... There was a big conference in the United Nations this week. That's where uh, Cheeto Jesus... How big was it? Was this big? <laughs> uh, that's where Cheeto Jesus decided to say that he must totally destroy North Korea if they don't dance to our tune. Hmm. Which is fine because they say that they're going to totally destroy us every other day. So, <laughs> uh, but he did it like I actually, and I was by a television when I watched this happen, and just like, is this a movie? And you see him at, on the podium in the United Nations, and he's just, we have no choice but to totally destroy. It's a horrible impression, but like he actually said it just like that. Anyway, and then he whipped his balls out on the table the other day, and then flew all the jets he had right over their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Look what we yes. got. <laughs> So as part of that UN meeting, Miss May was there, and she urged tech companies and other politicians to wage war again on encryption. It's clear that... Uh, oh, sorry, this wasn't her. Uh, a few, uh, in, in an interview published a few hours later by the CTC Sentinel, the Journal of Combating Terrorism Center at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point, uh, this guy Fishman insisted that, his, that companies such as his were already putting great effort into this work. Quote, it's clear technology companies across the industry are treating the problem of terrorist content online seriously. But the problem is, is that, is that Miss May just wants to remove all the protections that we have on your traffic to make sure that it actually does get to where it's going because of safe spaces for terrorists and that companies need to go further and faster, further and faster to remove material created, created by terrorists and their supporters. So... She said, she said, AI programs are being created to identify such material, and hundreds of people are employed for, to search for content that should be removed. Uh, on Wednesday, May told the UN that she believed that tech firms need to develop the capacity to take down terrorist-related material within two hours. Which is a mistake, as this next article says. But, I mean, these people aren't letting up. It's not just... And they haven't changed the script either. Oh, uh, safe space for terrorists. London Bridge attack because of WhatsApp. Everywhere's encryption. They're going to stick to that point. Mistakes will be inevitably made by removing the wrong content and by missing extremist material. Yeah. Given the global reach of these companies, automated takedowns will have a wide-reaching effect on the content we see, although not necessarily on the the spread of extremist ideas that terrorists will be using on other platforms that are encrypted. Yeah. This is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. It's a bad, bad idea. This is what happens 
Sorry, go ahead. Oh, and then it can only get worse because, you know, if that side doesn't get their way, then they can just implement some vertical integration, catch my drift, and get people to tilt their way. Well, this is what happens when you let people who don't understand the modern world lead the world. Yes. Yep. Yeah, but they only the people that do understand the modern world are working in the modern world. That's why they understand it. Well, they're smart enough to know they should to not get into politics. And that's the other thing, they don't want to be killed. They're busy making I can't be president, money. I'd be killed. <laughs> anyway, uh moving on. Uh our big story this week is about uh the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, leaves the W3C, the World Wide Web Consortium. So yeah. uh, the, the W3C has overruled do- dozens of members' objections but and published a DRM standard without compromise. Uh, and, and the EFF said, screw you, we're out of here. It was mm. the first ever appeal. Screw you guys, big going home. Exactly, first ever. The W3C's been around for 25 years? Uh, yeah. A bunch of, and it's a group of geeks that love proving that they're right to each other, and this is the first appeal that they've so had? So us... <laughs> I'm saying that's what I'm saying. Twenty five years of people no, I know what I'm doing. No, shut up, I know what I'm doing. That's the whole argument. And they haven't ever needed an appeal until now. So let's hear it from our news department. Nobody on presents news to you. Bowling game California. While most companies on the internet have an image of being easygoing. Compromising groups, the Electronic Frontier Foundation and the World Wide Web Consortium have tenuously split. Much like bad relationships, both parties were unwilling to compromise. The divorce comes from W3C's inclusion of standards for digital rights management, or DRM, into the world's internet standards bodies. The EFF rejected the proposal, as they should, citing legal and technical issues, warning that this may open the door for predatory legal battles onto consumers from Hollywood. It caused the first appeal in W3C's history, with just over 58% of respondents agreeing to include the technology in the spec. Of course, this meant that the premier legal aid organization of those on the internet had to go. So what does this mean for computer security going forward? Only time will tell. And so many Americans are afraid of what happens next. We at least know the world still turns and the truth marches on. And that's why this has been News to Use. Brought to you by Pneumonium. I thought you were going to forget. I can never. <laughs> trying to time it better with the music. <laughs> Yeah, they're going to let Snacky Snacks get in on it. Someday. Snacky S'mores. Snacky S'mores, right? Yes. And S'mores um, I was trying to look into exactly what the DRM is, uh, but so I couldn't see it. Uh, I think the actual standard they're talking about is a particular uh, uh, inc- encryption on the uh, stuff that re- requires a license. Right. And, like, um, you know, um, it's actually really popular in music software, like DAWs. And you go to buy them, and you have to have the license, and you have to enter that code. That's that piece code is to de- 
that's any piece of software that requires being bought, and it wasn't always the case. I remember plenty of times in the 90s where you could buy software, and then you could just totally give the disk to your friend, and you didn't need a license to it. It was just like whatever. And you could do the same thing with Windows 95 if you just entered ones in the product key. Stole ones, it would work. Yeah, but that's Windows 95. You said in the 90s. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the, this covenant would allow the W3C's large corporate members to enforce their copyrights. Indeed, it kept intact every legal right to which entertainment companies, DRM vendors, and their, businesses, and their business partners can otherwise lay claim. The compromise merely restricted their ability to use W3C's DRM to shut down legitimate activities like research and modifications that required circumvention of DRM. Which is true. Which, which is true, and that's why there's a safe harbor clause in the DMCA. Because you are allowed to look at stuff for academic purposes and for... There's fair use. And this kind of removes the, the idea of fair use and just says, oh, this person might be stealing our content. All right, let's shut him down and sue him. And that's why it's flawed. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Man, it's getting hot in here. I need to turn down my air conditioner. Um... And then it'll just be... No, well, the thing is, is that it's over in another room. Anyway, um, all right, well. (laughs) Tonight's episode is about cryptocurrency and what it is and what it means and and what actually is going on in the exciting world, the crazy world of cryptocurrency. A lot of people hear these days things about different types of coins, different types of digital money. It was a Tim and Eric sketch about digital money in, like, 2009. It's actually kind of funny. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so, let's see. Let's, let's just uh, let's dive right in. Uh, do we do our usual... Uh, why not? Oh. What? Oh, the wrong... Excuse me. Yeah, this isn't stripper music, is it? It's like... Anything stripper music if you fit, want it to be. It's like Fiddler on the Roof meets strip clubs. <laughs> I, could, I could see that. Do strip clubs too? I still, have, I still have Fiddler on the Roof on here somewhere from the uh, old days when we did that. I don't even know where to go. Anyway. All right. Cryptocurrency. The first attempt for cryptocurrency was in the 1990s. With uh, Hashcash, Bitgold, and V-Money. Were all early attempts in experiments with transacting online and buy and using these good using this using bits as, as currency really i'm trying to find a better way of, of, of putting oh it. i remember hash cash yeah um let's see david chaum invented the first form of internet money called digicash <coughs> in the netherlands at one point microsoft offered 180 million dollars to chaum's company to put digicash on every windows pc in the world it sounds very 90s. I don't think Microsoft hmm. would be that future-thinking wow. now. Uh, however, Chaum's company made some mistakes, including not to take money from Microsoft during its course, and also caught the hostile attention of the Netherlands Central Bank, which led to its eventual, uh, eventual bankruptcy in 1998. From the late 90s, PayPal also emerged as a clear winner because... I mean, I don't, need, I don't think I need to go on. We know what PayPal is. That was uh, Elon and someone else. Who was the other person? <laughs> right. So, uh, <laughs> so they made PayPal in the late 90s, and since that actually worked with U.S. funds that you could transfer to their escrow, giant escrow account in the sky, 
uh, it actually was a, a was a bigger hit than any of these digital money things because it was actually using real money. It wasn't trying to create a new currency. Um, uh, paralleling the uh, paralleling PayPal in the late 90s was eGold, which helped uh, it accepted physical gold deposits from users and issued gold credits or eGold to their account. That's got to be a good racket. Mm. Um, <laughs> eGold was shut down after Ponzi schemes and fraudulent high-yielding investment programs and scams had appeared. Yeah. Send us your gold. We'll send you some bits. Okay. <laughs> we buy gold. Wow. Exactly. Imagine if all these we buy gold pl- p- uh, places didn't even give you money back. They would say, oh, yeah, here's some e-gold for your real gold. Wow. The 2008 economic crisis was a big turning point in the world of cryptocurrency, and that saw the first successfully launched cryptocurrency, which is called Bitcoin. You know, when we give our histories of things on pull request, we usually start in, like, the 1860s, and uh, we've ran no, we through don't. a bunch of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, they're usually like... What? When did we ever start in the 1860s? Uh, there was, like, the history of, of community, th- like, 360 video, or, like... I remember one we started in the 19th century, we just kept running through this whole history of stuff. And, uh... Now we're already at 2008, with Satoshi Nakamoto. Also, and, uh, my and super Bitcoin. music thesis goes back to 1860. <laughs> there you go. Uh... The big difference between Bitcoin and these other former non-successful digital currencies is that it used blockchain technology, which sounds like something you'd find in an infomercial. But uh, the way that blockchain (laughs) technology works is it's decentralized by default. Stop me if I go off the rails, Christian. Uh, It's decentralized, peer-to-peer, and open-sourced by design. This way, when you make a transaction... It actually goes to is I think it's similar to a raft uh, consensus, where it, mm, it no. That's where your fault. All of these now. well, all of these decentralized exchanges have to independently communicate and verify with each other what's going on. Yes. Whenever you make. But n- not in a uh, not in as a uh, um, what's the right word? It doesn't need to be as concise as uh, raft. It is a little bit more delayed. Um, part of the whole Bitcoin miner is keeping up the ledger. Right. Right. Um, let's see. Uh, we mentioned the, uh, the founder, quote-unquote, of Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto. But we should mention that he might not be a real person. He's probably there not a is, real person. So there is an actual Satoshi Nakamoto? Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's right. And he lives in Southern California, but has nothing to do with Bitcoin. And yes, the way that these but, wait, hold on. And the way that these articles about him have been written is they really think they found him. Like here's one from Newsweek, and the way that it starts with it's just uh, here. I'll, I'll can the music because it's just like you need the drama. Two police officers from Temple City, California, flank him, looking puzzled. So what is it that you want to ask this man about? One of them a- asks me. He thinks if he talks to you, he's probably going to get in trouble. I don't think you'll get into any trouble, I say. I said. I would like to ask him about Bitcoin. This man is Satoshi Nakamoto. What? The police officer box? This is the guy who created Bitcoin? It looks like he's living a pretty humble life. Well, I'd come here to try to find out more about Nakamoto and his humble life. Like, that's... I, I love how they make it sound like the cop just knew exactly who that was right away. It sounds, yeah, it sounds like a crime, like a CSI version of what actually but, happened. 
So, what is interesting though is a very early on cypherpunk who unfortunately had mus- has or had mus- muscular dystrophy. Oh, is that um, Hal who was suspected to? Uh, possibly, I don't recall the name. He's credited. As no, not not Halfany, not Halfany, but another guy who uh, was early on as one of the cypherpunks, who is suspected to be uh, Satoshi. Yeah, I remember there is a Netflix documentary about Bitcoin. Yes, um, bank, banking on Bitcoin. Banking on Bitcoin. And thank you. I recommend it to our listeners. Yeah, and that and that definitely, uh, if you know, this is just an introduction, and uh, banking on Bitcoin definitely gives you a much more in depth look into what's going on and in many interviews with the people uh, that were involved in the early days of, and still are kind of involved in Bitcoin. Um, but here's the thing. So there's, there was that guy whose name was Satoshi Nakamoto, not to, be, uh, uh, not, not to be confused with the real guy or possibly Figment. Um, here's another one of those r- stupid articles. Uh, Even as his face towered 10 feet above the crowd, Bitcoin Investors Conference in Las Vegas. Craig Craig Stephen Wright was, to the most of the audience of crypto and finance geeks, a nobody. Hold on a second, who are you? Seven cut in, laughing. Are you a computer scientist? I'm a bit of everything, Wright responded. I have a master's in law, a master's in statistics, and a couple doctorates. How did you first learn about Bitcoin? Seven interrupted again, as if still trying to clarify Wright's significance. Wright did not say the words that Wired's study of Wright over the past week suggests that he might be Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of Bitcoin. That's it. It has it's hmm. like it's like a it's a giant article, and it's just like that's that's the mentality that they want you to read it in. It's just like this guy is um, real. Uh, I'm sorry, I mean, that guy wasn't Satoshi. Uh, and, and it even says in this, in, in this Wired article, in the last week's Wired, and this is from uh, two years ago, has obtained the strongest evidence yet of Satoshi Nakamoto's true identity. I just... Hmm. Well, I think uh, moving on from the creation point that gets very interesting would be the whole uh, how it became... Uh, right, uh, well, banks, because it, it was created as a way around banks... And then banks were like, oh, crap, we got to get involved. Right. And then whenever these giant organizations try to find a way of getting involved with these small pet projects, they usually ruin them. It's like inviting Andy Dick to a party. Nobody wants him. That's funny. Wow. Uh, you know what else is funny? I actually can't open this link <laughs> to how... Uh, why oh, not? yeah. Huh. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I got it. No, oh, I didn't. no, you didn't undo that. I think I just have to... No, that, that wasn't me. That wasn't you? Nope. I hit reload and it indented. <laughs> I think you know. They, I think they did a good job of copying Microsoft Office. This really feels like the, the Microsoft Office right now. <laughs> I, I'm highlighting a line, and the line below it highlights what. Um, okay, let me let's try this. Let's see if this works. Okay, there we go. There we go. Okay. Yeah, I'm seeing the same thing. You're, you're gonna have to reload your page. Um, what is it? So, Bitcoin is really based on this technology called a blockchain. Every few minutes, a block of all the transactions occurring over the Bitcoin network is created by a miner. Here, let's put on the, uh, the good music. Thinking music. 
Essentially, the miner has created a verified transaction file which holds a copied record of all the transactions that have occurred on the network in the past 10 minutes. The word to highlight here is verify. The miner uses the computational power of his computer to assure all the other members of the network that each transaction is between two parties only and that there is no problem of double spending. So the idea is that all of these uh, transactions, they're all independently verified and they're all making sure that you actually have the money that you say you do. And these miners and these exchanges, uh, or, or sorry, uh, exchanges are uh, antithetical to the purpose of Bitcoin. They wanted it to be decentralized. We'll get to that in a minute. But anyway, I, I'm, I'm detracting. Uh, for their efforts, the miner is compensated in Bitcoin. This is where the math of the, of the crypto of the currency and the way that it differs from the normal fractional banking system kicks in. And this is where it gets important. The total number of bitcoins that can ever exist is at a fixed number of 21 million coins. And what that means is that's creating a fiat currency. Just like how our dollar doesn't have anything backing it, the only thing that really backs it is the supply of other types of money. Or the, sorry, the only thing that determines its value is, you know, geopolitical events and other things that other forms of money. How much is the, how much is a dollar? Well, I don't know. How much is a pound? How much is a peso? How much is a ruble? How much is a euro? So, none of, anyway. Yeah, until somebody... Der, der, der. Exactly. Uh, as each transaction in every block is made at a specific time, each block is linked to the previous block of transactions. By grouping these blocks, we can get what is referred to as the blockchain. And since this grouping of blocks occurs as part of the protocol dictated by the algorithm underpinning the creation of bitcoins, this protocol is defined as the blockchain protocol. Uh, to be uh, as a difference from another protocol like TCPIP, TCPIP is a communications protocol while blockchain is a value exchange protocol. And are those official types of protocols, Christian? Uh, which parts are you asking Communi about? TCPIP uh, is a communications protocol, but blockchain is a, a value exchange protocol. Uh, so TCP is a transport protocol on top of IP, which it's called the TCPIP. I'm talking stack about communications versus excuse me versus value exchange. Yes. Yeah, so blockchain is a protocol to uh, that maintains the ledger. It's an application layer protocol that is entirely about the exchange. While TCP is the transport and IP is the underlying, um, well, it's the IP layer usually, but it's it's the layer that does the actual routing. Gotcha. Each Bitcoin block is about one megabyte in size, which has actually created a scalability problem with Bitcoin, as they're running out of space. There's no uh, there's there's no more space to have these to have these transactions in one megabyte, because I guess the ledgers are long enough. To where they're just used, they use more than that amount of space. Is that right? Yep. So, which I mean, I don't really fully understand why you can't make the ledger larger. But well, they, no, 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 they, well, they are, and in fact, that's part of the. You have to fork the currency, and that's where these Bitcoin forks come from. You've heard of Bitcoin Cash, and other. There's another. Uh, I've read some Bloomberg article that says Bitcoin may fork again in November. A lot of people today have told me to go fork myself. Uh, that's what they're doing is they're increasing essentially the namespace available to these blocks and they're also increasing the total number of Bitcoin that are allowed so that is in a fiat currency inflation because your currency has just been devalued but this is like the worst way to ever cause inflation ever right but the like, thing I, like I, I will take how the dollar works which is so horrible 
<laughs> over the idea of forking a coding project. I'm like, God, that is awful. Yeah, because what happens is, <laughs> oh, look, at, look, at, the, so look at the the fork of Node, right? No one's using. Oh wait, Node are you talking about AO. yield IOJS or AOJS? AOJS. No one's using that because they're gonna... God. IOJS was so long ago now. So, yeah, but like the point is, is that when people fork, a lot of people stay behind. A lot of people well, think that the fork sucks. I don't. I don't know. And now, are you familiar with the reason why the node fork? Yes, we talked about it last week. It was because they okay. didn't like the, the people at the uh, node organization foundation. They're mean, mean apparently. Uh, that's why people protest in the streets every day. So what, what can you do? Um, <laughs> the, the thing is, is that uh, let's see. So Bitcoin, while Bitcoin's block size limit, uh, sorry, while Bitcoin's block size limit remains at one megabyte, allowing for about two hundred fifty thousand transactions each day, Bitcoin Cash or or BCC. Oh, BCC has increased the limit to 8 megs per block, allowing for about 2 million transactions each day. So th- There's so many things called BCC, that's a terrible acronym. Yeah, like it. Broward Community College in South Florida. or Well, no, I was thinking of BCC, the BPF user space uh, li- library and compiler. There's also carbon copy. There's... Anyway. Um, no, but that's, so that's the, that's the thing, is that you have a fixed supply... And you can have micropayments, so you can pay somebody some kind of floating point, long floating point number, fraction of a Bitcoin. But you know what scares me the most about this, though? About Bitcoin as an idea? The fact that the woman who is largely credited to the idea of those loans that caused the housing crisis has her own company. And it's like, who keeps on giving her money to do things? (laughs) You know, uh, serpents live forever. What can you say? Uh, (laughs) So the, there's there's two types of forking that goes on with Bitcoin. Uh, one of them is a soft fork, and one of them is a hard fork. Giggity. And uh, <laughs> the big difference between the two of them is that hard forking is not backwards compatible. You just have to kind of turn it around and point it the other direction, and it would be. Mm. Um, no, but that's it, that's it, is that a hard fork is not backwards compatible, and a soft fork is. Think PlayStation 3 versus PS4. You can't play PS4 games on a PS3, but you can play PS3 games on a PS4. Mm, I don't know. That's the best analogy. Okay. What analogy well, would you like to use? Well, it's kind of like that. either you have a wall or you have a curtain. Okay. Back. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. You can go back and forth with the curtain. The wall is a solid object. You're not going to go through it. I, no, that doesn't. That is, no, you can't because once you move into Bitcoin Cash, you can't go back into Bitcoin Regular. Right, but this is just a fork. So if you do do a soft fork, you could go back into Bitcoin. Well, if you regular, did a soft fork, yes. But, but the, the idea is that a hard fork is incompatible. Yeah. Anyway, so you can't go back to it. Right. Okay. Whatever. Um, there's another there's another type of solution to this uh, Bitcoin forking problem, and that's the replace by fee system. Uh, basically, I thought you were gonna say spooning. That's uh, you know. Okay, that was actually a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> Not so spoon. Supra- supra- all right. uh, and this is a classic cryptography example with Alice and Bob. Suppose Alice sends five bitcoins to Bob. But the transaction is not going through because of a backlog. She can't. Wow, Alice is loaded. She can't delete the transaction because bitcoins once spent can never come back. However, she can do another transaction of five. Another transaction. 
of five Bitcoin with Bob, but this time the transaction fees are high enough to incentivize miners. As the miners put the transaction in its block, it will overwrite the previous transaction and make it null and void. I don't really understand how that... Why wouldn't that just be two? Oh, because of the... the. But I, I don't get it. Christian, help me out. What, like, you've got your first transaction. It's not going through because of a backlog. So you mm -hmm. go, you have another transaction with higher fees. It's a priority queue. It's a priority queue on the based on the fees. So yep. But I. So miners would gladly oh, take the it's one. Backlogged in the exchange, like in the queue of the exchange. Yep. So then the miners would have to, if they're incentivized with higher fees, and they would process it quicker, and then okay, then it would overwrite the one that didn't work. Yep. Okay. Each transaction takes about fifteen minutes to verify across the network, which is. Not great, but it makes sense since everything is kind of decentralized. And, uh, let's see, moving on. How could you not talk about something called uh, Magic the Gathering Online Exchange, or Mt. Gox? This is the first Bitcoin exchange ever. It was founded in 2010, and it was the Bitcoin exchange that most people trading in Bitcoin early on went to. Even though Bitcoin... I feel like that's the only appropriate name. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And even though Bitcoin itself was not meant to have centralized exchanges, it was the whole purpose was to be to work around having a central bank. Um, let's see. It was, it was hacked a couple times and eventually collapsed in 2014 with the equivalent of half a billion dollars was unaccounted for. Wow. Yeah. I remember that. Uh, there is a Bitcoin exchange... Uh, there, there were two Bitcoin exchanges right here in New York. One of them was a bit instant, but that closed in 2014 because of money laundering issues. <laughs> uh, oh, wow, that even killed the music. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to New Yorkers to uh, dirty something. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, and then, but the one that is still open is there is a New York Bitcoin Center in Soho that's open until 9. It's after 9. Tomorrow. See him tomorrow. Uh, there's 21 million total bitcoins right now, and each bitcoin can be divided into 100 million pieces. And this fork brings the number of available bitcoins up. In addition to allowing more of a space, doesn't it? Wouldn't it also mean that you could have a further subdivision? Because isn't it just a bigger namespace for everything? Or do they only increase the block size? They increase the block size. Mm. Um, about money laundering risks, what happens is because you can because it wasn't regulated, now it's just starting to be regulated. But because it wasn't regulated, you could use this money anywhere, and the only transaction records were encrypted. So the government couldn't really see what you were doing. And if you wanted to use something like I don't know the Silk Road uh, to call back to our episode twenty episodes ago uh, about the dark web, you could definitely use something like Bitcoin to buy your illicit whatever on the dark web. You shouldn't because it's illegal but you can. And that is, is a big reason why a lot of these governments and a lot of these politicians don't like Bitcoin, in, in addition to the fact that it's disrupting the status quo, um, because of money laundering. Just like, we don't want pot to be legal because, oh, you know, we, just, we have too much problems, too many problems right now. We don't need any more. Uh, we don't need more messed up people roaming the streets. Hey, look, man. If the government wants to make it illegal for me to buy a turbocharged jet ski, then I gotta find a different way. First, they, they take away my drugs. Now they tell me how fast my gun can shoot. Exactly. 
Um, also, in New York, there's a bit license, and it's a common term used for a business license of virtual currency activities issued by the New York Department of Financial Services. <laughs> oh, in this God. way, you can actually have a legal business that does work business in Bitcoin without getting shut down for money laundering like that other idiot. Uh, these regulations define virtual currency business activity as any one of the following. You receive virtual currency for transmission or transmitting virtual currency, except where the transaction is undertaken for non-financial purposes. It does not involve the transfer of more than a nominal amount of virtual currency, that amount not specified. Uh, storing, holding, or maintaining custody or control of virtual currency on behalf of others. Buying and selling virtual currency as a customer business. Perform, for, uh, performing exchange services as a customer business. Or controlling, administering, or issuing a virtual currency. Uh, but these two acts are excluded, activities are excluded, which is development and dissemination of software in and of itself, and merchants and consumers that utilize virtual currency solely for the purchase of sale of goods or investment. It came into effect on August 8th, 2015. Boo. Why? This is good. No, it's regulation. Okay, sometimes regu sometimes regulate. I know you don't want any government to exist, Christian, but sometimes <laughs> regulation is good. You know when it tells you about. The uh, it's not that I don't want any government to exist. I want government to exist ran by th something smart, as in not human. That's an oxymoron. <laughs> you're not going to get that. Well, out of government. you're not going to get that out of humans. You might have a better shot at getting it out of humans, but anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> Let's see, moving on. We talked about money laundering risks. We talked about the bit license. Uh, talked about it probably forking again in November and Bitcoin Cash versus uh, regular BTC. Uh, let's talk about, really quickly, other types of cryptocurrency. And this is from a website that Tyler likes, uh, Steemit.com. Ooh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that sounds... Uh... <laughs> yeah, tonight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there, there are other types of cryptocurrency that have emerged just because, the, you know, the first there's a first mover advantage for Bitcoin, of course. Uh, <clears throat> anything that's successful has to have a sequel. And so the sequel to Bitcoin, Bitcoin ha is Ethereum. And there are a few notable differences between Bitcoin. Is it is it definitely Ethereum, though? Because I know, like, Litecoin and Dogecoin well, are we're, things we'll talk that about were that. pretty Ethereum popular. is the only one that's Walker actually coin. got really big, has a big community. It has a, oh, yeah. Well, what, let, about let me, what about Stripper Coin? Ooh. Or or Whopper coin, we re, you know remember that. We'll strip for yeah. Whopper coins. The difference is <laughs> there you go. The difference is that the programming language used by Ethereum is Turing complete, whereas Bitcoin is in a stack based language. Does that actually make a difference? Not really. They they're both implemented by it. So they're okay, using good. language other, in other, a weird fine. way here. Other differences yeah. include block time. Ethereum transaction is confirmed in seconds compared to the fifteen minutes for Bitcoin. Uh, and they're basic builds. Ethereum uses an et an et hash, et hash. I need to get this loop. While Bitcoin uses a secure hash algorithm, SHA two fifty six. What's et hash? It's another form of hashing. It's a different hashing algorithm. Is it worse? Is it? Hey, the, it, it, you're using the wrong comparison here. Okay. Um. 
However, from a general point of view, Bitcoin and Ethereum differ in purpose. While Bitcoin is created as an alternative to regular money and thus a medium of payment transaction and store of value, Ethereum is developed as a platform which, facilities peer to, or which facilitates peer-to-peer -peer contracts and applications via its own currency vehicle. While Bitcoin and Ether, and that's the coinage from Ethereum, are both digital currencies, the primary purpose of Ether is to not establish itself as a payment alternative, but to facilitate and monetize the working of Ethereum to enable developers to build and run distributed applications. And a lot of companies that are using that New York bit license, Christian, are really more dealing in Ethereum these days than Bitcoin. Hmm. I'm not entirely sure why. These seem like mission statement differences. You know, like how is how yeah. does the architecture of Ethereum actually differ from the architecture of Bitcoin that enables developers to build and run distributed applications? But the they oh, because the transaction exchanges. time. It's, it's like Bitcoin yeah. is WordPress and Ethereum is Squarespace. I uh, one shinier and yeah. Maybe, okay. more stuff. Okay. It's not inherently I can, I can broken. Get behind that. Uh, you know what? Let's uh. Take a break. Smoke them if you got them, because it's time, of course, for our. There's, there's no. Actually, I never give an intro for this. What's your smoke them if you got them music? Oh. Uh. King of the Hill theme song? <laughs> what, do, what, what do we have? There's the fiddler on the roof. No. Anyway. Uh, no. It's a. Uh, no, it's. Uh, let's, let's, let's take a break and listen to an ad for something that. I made. Fair friends, do you live in New York City? Well, if you do, Pneumonium has a beautiful new product for you. It's called Where Am I? Your five-borough compass navigator to help you get anywhere from Staten Island to the Bronx. Simply go to www.whereami.nyc and enable mobile location services on your mobile device to help you find your neighborhood borough and three closest subway stops to you wherever you are. No ads, no tracking, just geospatial brilliance. That's Where Am I? Brought to you by Pneumonium. Pneumonium, reinventing media daily. All right. And back to uh, cryptocurrency. Uh, so, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, that song's just getting a little old there. I could always do the, uh, got some more music in, in, the, in the new iPad. Uh, I don't know. But this mm. music always makes it so good to read things out loud. Anyway. And let's not. Um, we only have a couple more things to get to. We are at the tail end of the show. Um, is there a cryptocurrency bubble? Just ask the creator of Dogecoin. I wonder if it had anything to do with DojoS either. No, he's just capitalizing on the, on the, on the Doge popularity. Because there is a Linux distro called Doge OS. Jackson Palmer no longer thinks it's funny to imitate Doge. The internet meme about a Shiba Inu dog whose awestruck expression... I love <laughs> 60-year-olds writing about internet trends. Uh, awestruck expressions in garbled syntax, e.g., e wow, so pizza, much delicious. He made him a viral sensation several years ago. But if he did, he might channel Doge to offer a few cautionary words for investors who are failing, who are falling for cryptocurrency startups. In 2013, he built his own cryptocurrency in Doge, and he made Dogecoin. 
But investors, he did it as a joke, but investors didn't get that joke, and they ended up buying Dogecoin anyway, bringing its market value to as high as $400 million. Along the way, the currency became a magnet for greed and attracted a group of scammers and hackers who defrauded investors, hyped fake products, and left many of the currency's original backers empty-handed. Today, Mr. Palmer, aged 30, I didn't do anything, I'm 30, is one of the loudest voices <laughs> warning that a similar fate might soon befall the entire cryptocurrency industry. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> and that's, I mean, that's, that's it. What do you guys think? Uh, I do think it's a bubble. It seems like government regulation is ruining the idea, and then there's these startups trying to capitalize on it. Right, but Christian... A lot of these startups are the finance bros who just don't really get it. Right. Well, l- let me ask you this. Whenever there's a threat to the status quo and the people in charge find out, what happens? They try to stop they it. try to stop it in every way they can. And it makes sense that Bitcoin succeeding as it has in creating a new market for cryptocurrencies that don't require national banks. And they're actually yeah. a super national. You want to you talk about one world currency, Bitcoin. It's already yeah. supranational. It's already fiat. It already does all these things that a lot of these other central banks haven't done yet. One, yeah, but if it was succeeding, Bitcoin would get around this whole government regulation. How? Instead, it's kind of just sitting there and taking it. Well, I mean, no, but the thing is, is how? The government's eventually going to find out about this type of thing. I don't... Yeah, but... Especially if <clears> there's <throat> a fake cryptocurrency that actually gets $400 million in investment. Sorry, market value of $400 well, million. <clears throat> you know, the way to avoid it. it is not have these centralized exchanges... Because you don't need them. The idea is this is not an, a, a currency to uh, work with the dollar. It's a currency to replace the dollar. So how would if you... It stayed, if it stayed decentralized and you have these concepts of values to them and it ended up becoming higher value than the dollar and you didn't try to exchange it, you just said, hey, I got Bitcoin, I'm happy trading uh, stuff uh, Bitcoin for stuff that I want that is also being traded for Bitcoin. Uh, it would be that uh, basically just everybody would be like, hey, I don't need my decentralized exchanges. You'd have to have it be this thing that strictly exists on the internet. And in a way it does, but then you get these centralized exchanges and these things like, oh, turn it into actual money. Right. And uh, that's where the regulation Well, and comes. the turning it into actual money is the thing that allows people to give it some kind of tangible value. Not, in, not for the people who started it, doing it originally. No, they're just trading ideas around then for that Bitcoin money. You can't actually it, when, until you in, one, until you bring it into the real world of actually exchanging goods and services for. It. I'm sorry, you could exchange services for. It. Would you make a website for me for three Bitcoin? Sure, but then what? Then I have you those three ex- Bitcoin where the value well. oscillates night and day. And, uh, and well, then, it's like the dollar. You, it, you will gladly exchange it for goods it, if like, you believe it had value, and then it, it does have value. It's a matter of not people like, want to be like, "Hey, can I get actual money for those places that still don't recognize this?" If you really wanted to uh, set it, do what Bitcoin set out to do, you wouldn't translate back to dollar. You'd be like, "Hey, it's a Bitcoin. It stays on the internet. It's not owned by any one country." Which is the crazy thing is, the U.S. is the one trying to regulate this. Why? Because it, we uh, it's on like, the internet. Because we always do things that exceed our authority and sovereignty as a country. Yeah, yeah, we do. Even though other, or sorry, company, country, even though it's basically the same thing at this point. And uh, what is it? Even though we have other countries that try to lobby for international rules the same way, Australia, you know, they say that the laws of physics don't trump the laws of, of, of Australia. Sorry, the laws of math don't trump the laws of Australia. You've got Miss May in England trying to get the whole world to abolish uh, in- encryption. So it's not just the U.S., but we seem to be the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, horse in the race, I guess. 
Uh, but the thing is, is your biggest gripe is the centralized exchanges. So what would you rather do? Have an exchange as a GitHub project that you can build on your computer and run? No. Why do you need an exchange? You should be just using the miners that keep the ledger. You don't need to turn... How exchanges do you, how turn do you, into dollar values. You don't need that. How do you get Bitcoin without having Bitcoin? You mine it. You mine it. But the mine, you can't run a miner anymore. Yeah, you can't anymore. I remember when I so I remember when you, you could, exchange... and I didn't do it because I'm an idiot. But so instead, you'd exchange goods or services for Bitcoin. Right. Like I said, make a website for a couple of Bitcoin. But the thing is, is that there's no intrinsic value in it because the only value that people see is when it's tied to something that actually has fake value, like the dollar. That's not true. Bitcoin is it... worth nothing until it's until it's tied to something. There was a dollar value put to it way before you could actually get exchanged into dollars. Right. And people wanted it back then. It was several years until it could uh, people could actually get dollars out of it that people still believed in its value and would. It's like the dollar. It's just no, fake. You know what? It's no, no, no. no. It's, not, that... it's not exactly like the dollar. It's like a, it's like the stock market from before the crash, where it was unregulated. You could do anything that you wanted, and the stocks peaked and valued within the same day. And that's exactly that's... what's going on with Bitcoin. And what's going to happen? Yeah. And there was no regulation. And what's going to happen? There's going to be a big effing crash. And there already have been a lot of big crashes recently. In the last Ethereum crash, I tried to buy a couple using one of those exchanges that we hate, and it uh, didn't work. So um, that's the thing, is that it's like the stock market from 100 years ago. It, you can win big, but you can also lose very quickly, and there's no safety net. Uh, and we, we have plenty of, uh, plenty of those fun and not-so-fun stories next week. But um, one thing that we want to talk about is uh, cryptocurrency and taxes. Since the government has decided to get involved with cryptocurrency, uh, it's uh, the IRS, of course, has to, have to, has to have their say. But what's interesting is that they don't consider Bitcoin currency. They consider it property. From a federal income standpoint, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency are not considered currency. On March 25th, 2014, the IRS issued Notice 2014-21, which for the first time set forth, set forth the IRS position on taxation of virtual currencies such as Bitcoin. According to the Notice, virtual currency is treated as property for U.S. federal tax purposes. General tax principles that apply to property transactions apply to transactions using virtual currency. In other words, the IRS, I almost said IRC, the, IR, the IRC is trading. The IRC is treating the income or gains from the sale of virtual currency, such as a Bitcoin, as a capital asset, subject to either short-term, like ordinary income tax rates, or long-term capital gains tax rates if the asset is held greater than 12 months. That's a 15% or 20% tax rate based on income. By treating Bitcoin and other virtual currencies as property and not as currency, the IRS is imposing extensive record-keeping rules and significant taxes on its use. Well, it's ironic because it already has significant record-keeping as by the blockchain. But they say that the IRS treatment of virtual currency has created a favorable tax environment for retirement account investors. What do you think? I don't have a retirement investment I I wouldn't put my retirement uh, in Bitcoin. What about Dogecoin? Uh, oh, absolutely. No, um, <laughs> I wouldn't put anything that, that, so that volatile. Huh? I wouldn't put in anything that volatile. I do understand using uh, uh, Bitcoin and the likes 
for uh, an immediate exchange, right. but the idea of you don't want to hoarding it, it and saving it up. Not really. I don't really understand why you would, because it is this uh, cryptocurrency that is a very new thing. Being a new thing, it's very volatile, like I said. Its value can change so quickly. It's more like the thing that, because, like, use the government regulation to your advantage, even though I'm not crazy about it. You can say, hey, because it is regulated, I can c- totally cash in the moment I get something. Right. And you could probably set up... Kind of like an Equifax cashing. <laughs> ah, I was going to say, you could probably set up some kind of, like, uh, if this, then that. Or, like, something like, if Bitcoin gets below this certain price, then hook all this stuff together and buy some. Uh, right now, BTC is at $3,679, and it is going up right now. These exchanges, you know, value doesn't stop changing. Over the course of today, it peaked at... What is this? Oh, this is the indices. Where's the, uh... There's no open and close. It's just, it's not a stock market. Yeah, but it says 3679 mm-hmm. And yesterday it was at 3652 Uh, the day before it was 3779 You know, it's actually not that big of a... It's not oscillating too much. Uh... No, no, it does not. Let's see, a couple... Uh, last week, a 4084. It's not bad. Uh, 4232. You know, these are all... Actually, it's pretty... That actually seems pretty... Uh, not up and down. Seems pretty sta- stable. Uh, but if you go yep. back... And Until so the government announces any kind of regulation, at which point it'll hit the toilet. Yeah, which happened earlier this year. March 19th went down to 972. Uh, January 22nd, it went down to 919. November, around Thanksgiving of last year, it was 731. That's when we should have bought it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyway, right when we started our podcast, we could have used Bitcoin to... Seven hundred dollars. Now we now it's thirty six hundred, and we could have bought a couple things, or not because as soon as you bring it into dollars, then it becomes taxable. So, but the thing is, is that the government, how do you tax Bitcoin if it's just staying Bitcoin as property? If you're saying I'm going to tax you at fifteen percent of your Bitcoin, do they just calculate it at the exchange rate to the dollar at that time? Do they just take 15% of the number of Bitcoins that you have? Well, Bitcoin was never intended to be taxed. Well, it wasn't intended to be centralized either, but it is. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, well, I think we've run out of time for Bitcoin this week, so we'll we'll talk more next week about Bitcoin applications in the blockchain crypto space industry. Um, The last thing that I wanted to talk about tonight is from Alabama. And how inmates used peanut butter to fool the guard in jail. We are talking about Alabama here. A dozen inmates escaped from an Alabama jail by using peanut butter to change the numbers above a door and trick a new employee into opening another door that led outside, the sheriff said on Monday. The inmates... (laughs) Yeah, bless you. The inmates changed the number... I need, like, some crusty the clown music or something behind this. The inmates changed the the number above a cell to the number that identified the door leading outside the jail with peanut butter. They couldn't tell it was brown? Come on. So when an inmate... This is is Alabama we're talking about. The the collective IQ is five. Jesus. I mean, I definitely know him there. Uh, So when an inmate asked a young, inexperienced jailer to let him into his cell, the jailer was fooled into opening the outside door instead. The group then fled, throwing off their orange uniforms and using blankets to climb over a fence topped with razor wire on Sunday evening. 
It may sound crazy, but these people are crazy like a fox. Sorry, I gotta do the. It may sound crazy, but these people are crazy like a fox. Walker County nah, Sheriff. No, Alabama's a little slow and like you got molasses in your mouth. It may sound crazy, but these people are crazy like a fox. And they scheme all the time to con us and our employees at the jail. How's that? Hey, you still got a little too much twang to you. A little too much twang. This is not good. <laughs> Northerners do southern accents now. Uh, let's see. Uh, the fugitives were between ages 18 and 30, facing cha- charges ranging from disorderly conduct to attempted murder. Nice. They, uh, Underwood estimated the inmates had cleared the barbed wire fences in under 10 minutes. <laughs> a new record. Seriously, they took, adva- <laughs> they took advantage of a young fellow that hadn't been here very long, who had to mentor 115 inmates at a time. They apparently saved peanut butter from food regularly served at jail. They love peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> 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 anyway. All right, well. I think that's all we've got for this week, so... Christian, do you approve of this week's poll request? Looks good to me. Tyler? Yep. Wonderful. Well, then let's all hit merge. And we'll see you next week right here on Poll Request. This has been a Pneumonium production. The views and opinions expressed on Pull Request do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium, LLC, or its subsidiaries. This week's theme music provided by Wolfpack. Visit them at VULFPECK.com.